If you remember, last week what we saw was Paul now looking or putting his attention on to the Gentiles. He, he called them to remember something. He called the Gentiles in the church in Ephesus to remember that they were once outsiders looking in. He called the Gentiles and told them, you were once strangers. You were strangers of the promises of the covenant. You were alienated or excluded from the kingdom. You were not a part of this. You were outsiders. But then he went on to remind them that through the blood of Christ, through the sacrifice of Christ, that the message of peace that was preached to the Jews was the same message of peace that was preached to the Gentiles. And upon profession of faith, uh, upon being born again, uh, upon trusting in Christ, turning from their sin and turning to Jesus, that these two who were extreme rivals, they were opposites, they were different from one another. They were cats and dogs. Were now made one because of their belief in Jesus. The sacrifice of Christ unifies all different types of peoples, different races, ethnicities, different social classes and economic classes. It brings unity. The two, Jews and the Gentiles, became one. They are united because of Christ's sacrifice. This is what Paul was reminding the Gentiles of the church because it could have gotten very easy for them to become arrogant. It could have gotten very easy for them to look at the Jews and say, you, you forsook this God of yours. And so Paul calls them to remember that they are no longer distinct or different peoples, but now they are one, unified by the blood of Christ. And so it is for us today in the 21st century, unified to different types of people, when we believe in Jesus. And this is what we see today. We see that we are unified because we belong to God. This is what, what Paul is trying to explain, is that because you are unified, you are now one, but you are unified because you belong to God. Christ's blood causes you to belong to God. Nothing else, only God. 
You, you Gentiles, you Jews, you belong to God. You are one now, thus making you unified to one another. Because you belong to God, you are now unified. And isn't this something that our hearts long for? Isn't this evident in the world today? Can't it be said about you too that your heart longs or desires to belong to something or someone? We are creatures created to belong. And we feel nagging pole in our hearts. We can't help it. We're born with it. We're born to belong. You can see it at an early age. You can look at children and how they play together and how they long to belong or desire to belong to friends. How there's desires early on to say, I belong to this thing or to that thing. But in our passage this morning, we see that, that Paul is now shifting. Paul said, so then. Paul is shifting from his thought of, you were outside, and because of Christ's sacrifice, now you are unified, both Jews and Gentiles, so then. What Paul is saying here is, because of all of this, this is the result. Because you are unified, this is the result. But we all long to belong, don't we? I think this has become more and more clear over the past few years, hasn't it been? with all of the different organizations and all of the different rallies and all of the different groups that people want to belong to. Why? Because it's naturally ingrained into us to find a group of people and to belong to a group of people. We see this through tribes. We see this most clearly, I think, by established sports where people long to have a team that they can belong to. But there is a stirring problem that is in our sin. We look for places to belong that suit our own interests. We, we may look at what the Apostle Paul says in, in Philippians 2, where he says, do not count your own interests more highly than others, and we reverse that. You see, in, in our what we do is we reverse that. We look for places to belong that suit our own interests, our own common interests. It doesn't take very long if you search on Facebook or you look at all of the groups that you could belong to. You could belong to the group of lovers of cheese or a part of the group of those who hate cheese or, or a group of 
Republicans or a group of Democrats or a group of whatever sports team you There are hundreds of groups, thousands of groups for you to belong to. But what those groups have in common is those those groups only look to their own interests. This is what it means to be strangers. This is what Paul is reminding them that they are no longer of. So then you are no longer strangers and alienated. As I was thinking and meditating upon this passage, I couldn't help but ask myself, what makes us strangers to God? Because this is the problem. This is why we look for other places to belong to other than God. Why are we strangers? It's because we are alienated. We are excluded. We're excluded, but why? There is an even further question and an answer that goes on, isn't there? We are strangers. Why are we strangers? We don't understand. Why don't we understand? Because we're excluded, but why are we excluded? Our sin. Our sin excludes us. Our, our sin makes us strangers. And, and how is this so? Well, let me illustrate it like this. When, when I was younger, my dad had started taking us to a church, Faith Baptist Church. And as we went there, after a few weeks, I remember one night after dinner, he called me into the living room and he sat me down on his lap and he asked me, Max, what do you think of the new church that we go to? And I was honest with him because I didn't really know what else to say. It's strange. Especially the singing is strange. I I don't understand the words that's being sung. It's strange. It doesn't make sense. Why doesn't it make sense? Why didn't it make sense to me? Was it because I was a a stranger in a strange place? Was it because this church tried as much as possible to exclude people? To alienate them? No, that's not the case. They were very friendly. They were very welcoming. What made it strange was because I was excluded from the knowledge and the understanding. This is what sin does. This is how sin alienates us and makes us strangers to the promises. It causes us to be blind. It causes our hearts to be hard. It it causes our ears to be deaf. That's why it was strange. That's why I looked at it and felt like a stranger. It's because I couldn't understand the message that was being sung through those songs. I was the one who was a stranger. I was excluded. It wasn't them that was excluding me. It was that my heart had not been enlightened. I was not born again. I could not understand. I was a stranger. And because of that, we look for places to belong other than the one place that we should belong. Are you here this morning? Are you here this morning 
looking and hearing and trying to comprehend this message of the good news of the gospel, and yet it's just a strange message. A strange message. May I be so bold to say that it's probably because you are excluded and alienated because your sin has alienated you. It has caused you to not understand and comprehend the message. Your, your sin has caused you to look at this and say, this is strange. Why would they worship a man who, who supposedly died and rose again 2,000 years ago? Why would they partake in something like the Lord's Supper that symbolizes his death, his sacrifice? To eat of his body and, and drink of his blood. That is, that's strange. Why would they do that? Why would they sing these songs? This is strange. Are you here this morning? Thinking and pondering and wondering why this is all strange. It very may well be that because your heart is still hard to the, to the good news of the gospel. Looking to belong. Where are you looking to belong? This is what Apostle Paul is writing to the Ephesian church. You once belonged and worshipped these pagan gods, but this is no longer the case anymore. You are no longer strangers and exiles, or strangers and alienated, excluded. This is no longer you. Are you here longing to belong? The gospel is that Christ dies for sinners of all kinds. People who are different. Things that don't add up. He dies for your sins. He makes a way so that way you can belong to him. This is what we really need, is it not? This is why we look to belong. Because we were created to belong. This is what Paul writes to the Romans when he says, what is our only hope in life and death? That we are not our own, but belong to God. This is what our hearts long for. The church father, St. Augustine of Hippo, says our hearts are restless until we find rest in God. It's, it is, it's true that our hearts will never be satisfied. Our, our hearts will never feel like we belong to a place until we belong to God. We must belong to God because God is our creator. He has created us to belong to him. I think we get a, a picture of this when, when we look at those who have adopted parents. It's nothing of the parents. The parents could love that child as well as they possibly could, and yet there is this feeling in their child's heart that, that for some reason they just don't fully belong. We know that it's much better for a child to have both of their, their parents than to be adopted because there's this longing that takes place in the heart. And so it is with us as we look to belong, we look for other places 
And yet our heart is not satisfied belonging there until it belongs to its creator. This is why Jesus was sent. This is why Jesus has come. He's come to call those to repentance and to come into the kingdom of God. Because we were created by God, we were created to belong to God. And Jesus comes so that way we can belong to God. This is what the promise of peace is that Paul is talking about here, is that we can have peace with God. We can finally belong with God once again as we were created to do so. This was the message that was preached to the Gentiles. That you, that you may have peace with the living God. That you no longer have to look to all of these things to belong to, but instead you can wholly belong to God. But here's the great temptation. The great temptation for us is to believe that it's up to us to belong to God. that we somehow need to do something to earn this belonging. That we must, through our good works, catch the attention of God so that way we can belong. We need to bridge the gap somehow. This is the great temptation. This is the great temptation throughout the church that we still see today, is it not? Do we not still see this continuing to linger on through our best efforts in the last 60 years to reach and evangelize to people? Have we not seen the church take this method? I know I've read countless of books and countless of articles and I've heard countless of messages that tell people to get people to belong to your church. That will win them to Christ. But are we not seeing the effects of nominal Christianity run rampant in our country now? Maybe this idea that if we can just get people who are non-believers to become greeters or play on the worship team or be a part of children's ministry, if we could just get them to belong to the institution of a Sunday service, then they will believe in Jesus. This is the great temptation. This is where the church in our days is fooling people to think that if they just work, then they can belong. Brothers and sisters, it is by faith alone, through grace alone, that you are saved. It is not by a work of your own. This here is what Paul is telling them. You were once strangers, but this is not the case. You are no longer strangers.
What you and I are called to do is to repent of our sins and to trust in Christ. This is how a person belongs to God. This is what the Ephesians did to belong to God. This is what the Jews and the Gentiles did to belong to God. They turned from their sins and turned to Jesus. This is what Paul is saying. You are no longer strangers, but belong to God. And because you belong to God, you now belong to his kingdom and his family. He gives this church two illustrations. Here are two illustrations. You no longer are strangers in exile, but you are citizens. You are fellow citizens with the saints. And not only just fellow citizens with the saints, but wanting it to be more personal and more intimate, you are now members of the household of God. I get to have a lot of conversations about those who are foreigners seeking to become citizens of America. There is a great excitement as a foreigner is seeking to become a citizen here of uh, America afterwards of becoming citizens, they even throw parties. They desire this. They long for this. And when they finally become citizens, they are excited to then live as citizens. You see, that's, that's what, what we're seeing here. Is that you were once a foreigner, but that is not the case anymore. You belong to the kingdom of God. What does this mean for us then? What does this mean for those who were once strangers and excluded but are now citizens of the kingdom? Well, that means that you are a part of a kingdom that is eternal. This is a forever kingdom that God had promised. That this kingdom would be established and it would reign forever. You no longer are a part of a kingdom that will perish. Look at me and listen to me, please. The American kingdom will crumble, but the kingdom of God will last forever. You are no longer primarily a citizen of America. Be proud. But know that first and foremost, that you are a kingdom, or you are a people, a part of a kingdom that is eternal, that will not crumble, that will not be overthrown. Which also means that there is a king, a king who is a just ruler, a righteous ruler, a good ruler, a, a ruler who is worthy of our devotion and our adoration. Which then means that this kingdom will never be divided. Because it is a good king who is ruling over it, who is righteous and just who is perfect and holy, this kingdom will not be divided and it will never divide. You are a part of a kingdom that is eternal, that is perfect, with a king who is righteous and just, 
a part of a kingdom that will not divide. Because you are a citizen of this kingdom, you will receive, as Paul has already pointed out to us, every spiritual blessing. You've received this through the king. The king himself has bestowed upon you every spiritual blessing possible. You are not a second-class citizen in this kingdom. You are not forgotten about on the margins. You are not an outcast in this kingdom. You have received every spiritual blessing. But let's not miss also this important word, a fellow citizen. That means that you are not the only citizen of this kingdom. You are a, a fellow citizen with the saints. There are other people a part of this kingdom. We must not lose sight of that. This isn't your own individual kingdom, but you are a fellow citizen, which means there are other people who are a part of this kingdom. People of different jobs and different classes, different ethnicities, different personalities, different wirings, different gifts. You are a fellow citizen along with other fellow citizens. You are not a part of a singular kingdom. But you are also a part of a family. This is, this is, what, this is how Paul is moving this. He's progressing this. He's, he's showing us a more intimate aspect of belonging to God. Belonging to God means you are a part of his kingdom, but belonging to God also means that you are a part of a family. You are a part of the family of God. What does this mean then? It means that you have a good father. who graciously and compassionately loves you as a perfect father. He will not leave you with daddy issues. He is a perfect father who loves you perfectly, which means he knows your needs as your father. He knows your needs perfectly. He knows. But this also means that because you are part of the family, you now have an inheritance. There is an inheritance that is waiting for you because of being a part of this family. And once again, let's not miss that you are a member of the household, which means that there are other brothers and sisters. There are members of this household. It is not an only child household. There are many brothers and sisters. You see what Paul is trying to do here? Paul is trying to remind them and show them you were once on your own, but now you are a part of something that is much bigger than yourselves. You are a citizen. You are a family member. 
Do you see the the progression that's going on here? You are no longer strangers, but belong to God. And because you belong to God, you now belong to his kingdom and family. But this implies something for us as we move forward. What does this imply? This implies that you are to live like a citizen. You are to live like a family member. How so? Paul fills us in when he's writing to the Philippians to live a life worthy as a citizen of the kingdom of God. It would be very strange to become a citizen of a kingdom but then decide to rebel against the king or to not honor the king. This is what it means to be a citizen. A citizen is one who follows the king. And the king is none other than Jesus. And so we follow Jesus. We pick up our cross and we follow him daily. We submit to the teachings of Jesus. What else does it mean to be a citizen? Well, it means that we are now a citizen that seeks the good of our fellow citizens. It also means that a citizen seeks to live according to the kingdom. A citizen seeks to make the king proud by living as salt, not losing its taste, being a lamp on a hill or a lamp that is not covered. And we do this because a citizen seeks to bring glory to the king. Is this you? Do you seek to bring glory to your king that has made you a citizen? Do you seek to submit to the king? We are also to live as a family. A family looks out for one another. A family member picks up another family member. When it falls down, a family member is there to help. Because we belong to God, we should live like a family. And what does it look like to live as a a family? Well, first, the child seeks to honor its father. We, We seek to honor our heavenly father. There's nothing that brings a parent more pride than when another person comes up to them and says, wow, I am totally taken away by how your child acts. We seek to live in such a way that people look at the father and say, wow, they seek to honor you. A child seeks to honor and contribute or seeks to contribute to its family. It seeks the good and well-being of its family. It seeks to help and to do good. This is what, this is what Paul is, is trying to communicate here. This is the implication that we are now to live out, that, that as a, a family we seek to do good to one another. This is how Paul finishes his letter to the Galatians. Do not grow weary, he says, in doing good to one another. 
So then, take every opportunity, every opportunity to do good for everyone. And how does he finish that? Especially to the household of God. Especially to the members of God. This is what we are to do. This is how we are to live. We are to live to glorify the king. And we are to seek to do good to everyone when opportunity arises, especially to the household of God. Because we belong to God and we are citizens and family members, now we seek to do good and glorify the Father, to glorify the King. Do you seek to do good to one another? Do you seek to use the gifts and the personalities that God has given you to do good to everyone, especially the household of God? Do you seek to use your gifts to build up the church? And I must stop us here, because when you hear me say this, you might be hearing me say gifts as in, because you can sing well, that you should be singing on Sunday. Or that because you can teach kids, that you should be teaching on Sunday. I'm not talking about the good of the institution. I'm talking about the good of the people. Do you seek to do good to the people? Is it your life's ambitions now as a sanctified child of God to use what God has given you to do good to one another, to seek the good of everyone, especially those of the household of God? Do you take the time to do that? Or do you look to your own interests? This is the temptation. to take our own interests and use them for ourselves instead of for the good of everyone, especially the household of God? Do you take every opportunity or when opportunity comes? Let me just quickly speak to this and then I'll be finished. Every opportunity, opportunity, an opportunity is what Paul says. That's not a created opportunity. That's an opportunity that comes and shows its face. I'm afraid that at times, the church has established so many programs and things to do that we look at what we can do, meaning a homeless outreach, or a food bank. We create opportunities instead of being ready to see the opportunities, which has caused many people to be immature. Is this not what Paul has told us, that God has planned good works for us beforehand? If that is the case, then we don't necessarily need to create opportunities. That's not me saying that those things are wrong. This is me saying that we must take opportunities when it comes throughout the week. Not relying on the institution of the church, but relying that the Holy Spirit will mature you and that God will place good works in front of you because he has planned them beforehand. Because we belong to God, we are citizens of his kingdom. We are members of his family, and we should live as such. 
we can fulfill this by not looking to our own interests as much as we do, but looking to the interests of others. We can do this by taking the gifts that God has given us and serving others to do them good, to do them good in word and in deed. Let's pray. Father, we know that you have created and that you have prepared good works for us beforehand. So help us to live them out. Let us do good to everyone, especially those of the household or those who are members of the household of God. Amen.